they've got Project 2025. Well, we've got Project 2024. I'm Jessica Denson, and this is Lights On. If you think the world is on fire right now, just wait until, God forbid, Donald Trump takes back the White House. Just like the economy, national security and foreign policy issues can be cyclical, with Republicans causing major disruption in world affairs, only to leave the disaster cleanup to Democrats, who invest real good faith efforts to stabilize national security at home and abroad, until a Republican takes office again, claims credit for all the Democrats' earned peace, and wreaks havoc all over again. Just this week, the GOP showed us how peaceful they really are with literal and near physical fights breaking out in the Capitol. This is the party of political violence, of domestic terrorism, of force for power at all costs. Never mind world peace, this party doesn't even want it here at home. Donald Trump and his henchmen are hatching a truly horrific plan we've mentioned here called Project 2025 recruiting an army of Trump's sycophants to replace our civil service. Trump's criminal co-defendant, Jeffrey Clark, is brazenly calling on the use of the Insurrection Act from day one to mobilize the military against our own citizens. And the four-time indicted ex-president is promising political retribution on his perceived enemies. Just wait until his supporters see it turn on them. Mass deportation of immigrants, detention camps for migrants, a renewed Muslim ban, and to sum it all up, the end of American democracy. A corrupt judge is uh, doing his bidding, apparently. all he's, She's all in, Judge Cannon in Florida, all but promising to delay the case that shows he is a threat to national security beyond the 2024 election. Other judges, thank God, are not. Judge Chutkin today denied Trump's ludicrous motion to exclude mentions of January 6th from Jack Smith's DC indictment, which is on track to go to trial in March. And in Georgia, we just learned that Fawny Willis has asked Judge McAfee to schedule the Fulton County trial for August 5th, 2024. Amen to that. Everything matters in this moment, from the wheels of justice moving swiftly to the right decisions on foreign policy, and our unwavering commitment to unify the campaign for democracy and sound the alarms. If their plan for American fascism is Project 2025, let ours for American democracy be Project 2024. If our project succeeds, which it must, theirs will have no chance. My guest today is a true American patriot, an army vet who put his life on the line on January 6th, and someone who bravely emerged from the shadows of silence to sound these alarms. Author of the new book, American Shield, The Immigrant Sergeant Who Defended Democracy, retired, retired Sergeant Aquilino Gonel. Aquilino, welcome to Lights On. I am so excited to have you here with me. Thanks for hosting me, Jess. My pleasure. So I wanted to just get your reaction right off the bat to this, um, as I mentioned a minute ago, this ludicrous motion that Trump filed to try to get the mention of January 6th out of the indictment that Jack Smith has brought against him in DC. You were there on that day. What, what, thank God it was denied. I mean, what is your reaction to that? I mean, that's the, the whole purpose of the case is 
everything related to January 6th. So I don't see how can he uh, make him, uh, an argument that it shouldn't be uh, cited because that's exactly what he did and what he helped orchestrate and per, uh, perpetrate uh, as I discussed in the book. Absolutely. And I know um, I read your book, which was such a um, it was such an eye opening read. I mean, you have quite a life story that um, I think people will be really interested to find out about. You came you you struggled so much um, when your family moved to Brooklyn from the Dominican Republic. Um, you describe yourself as kind of very obedient and quiet. For many years, you joined the army. You were um, someone who followed orders and you worked so hard for your citizenship and to be a constructive and really brave um, contributor to the American experiment. And then you went through this life altering experience on January 6th, still in silence for a while and keeping this kind of obedient nature of yours until you ultimately realized you had to speak out. Can you kind of talk about that wake up call and, and coming to um, bring your story to the public? Sure. Uh, and uh, as you alluded to, I do cover that in the book. Uh, one of the things that I, I, I'm very proud of us, all of is um, defending the United States, uh, both foreign, uh, always abroad and here at home. Uh, had it not been because of January 6th, uh, I think a lot of people or no one but my family and my relatives would know who I, who I am and what I had done uh, uh, on behalf of the United States. Uh, when I first came in in uh, age 12, I was just a uh, 12 years old. Uh, and I didn't know, I didn't speak the language. I, I had a hard time assim assimilating uh, to the culture, to the language, to everything that, that was around me, uh, including violence and, and uh, a verbal abuse uh, father uh, on my family and my mom. Uh, so I, become, I had to overcome a lot of adversity and obstacles. And uh, it took me a lot of tries, uh, sometimes multiple times. Uh, multiple trials uh, until I get it right, uh, but I did uh, overcome a lot of those things. And if you look at it, if you put me on the pedestal that uh, a lot of Republicans say that that's, um, you know, in terms of what a immigrant should look like and be or do once they get here, I think I fit each and every boxes or, or checks that they, that they have set up for. And yet, they don't see me that way. They see me as somebody who uh, has a different agenda, have a different narrative, because I don't, I don't fit the narrative that they put forth uh, in terms of holding uh, into a, holding the former president accountable for what he did uh, on January six, before and after. Yeah, I definitely want to come back, Akalino, and talk more about this this disgusting demagoguery that um, the Republican Party, led by Donald Trump, uses surrounding immigrants. Um, it's been a major wake-up call for me. Um, as our viewers know, I actually, for a short time, worked on Hispanic engagement on the Trump campaign in 2016. Um, and I thought very ignorantly and blindly that he could be somebody different who served this community. Um, 
I, but before we get to that, I kind of like on this theme of just the Republicans disregard for your service, for your bravery, for your heroism. Um, you know, I, I feel like this, this week was kind of like a mini, very many, very many repeat of some of the, the themes of January 6th with these fights breaking out. And it just really was not a shock, I think, to a lot of people, myself included, that these um, Republicans who either have wanted to whitewash or defend or conspiracy theorize over the events of January 6th would be inclined to violence themselves. Um, can you just talk more about your kind of experience with Republicans in in uh, Congress up to and including um, Kevin McCarthy and perhaps up to and including Donald Trump in the wake of January 6th? Sure, and uh, I mean, it, you had to, it took me a while to realize that what they were doing, um, especially right after January 6th, I, I always thought, before January 6th, I always thought that at the end of the day, politicians are going to be politicians, but they will come around to do the right thing, not only for themselves, but also for the country. And I realized that that was not the case on January 6th because they knew on January 6th who was responsible for it, as I mentioned in the book. I thought a lot of the, those principles that the Republicans, especially because they fill their mouth with we support the police. We back the blue. We are the party of law and order. Uh, the uh, law, uh, law and order, and, and the rule of law. And yet, last week, the former president called the same people who assaulted me and the Capitol uh, and my colleagues. He, he called them hostages. Uh, and in the past, he also had called them uh, political prisoners peaceful demonstrators. I'm, I'm like, uh, that's not the case. That's not my recollection. I, I, I experienced a lot of violence. I was all over in the Capitol uh, and fighting the, the rioters. And yet, uh, those, they were not very uh, peaceful to me or to my colleagues. And the interpretation they have put out forth is only to fit the narrative to regain and maintain power and if they, those writers were hostages, what do that make me and my colleagues? Hostage takers? Uh, it's insane the way that they are uh, contorting themselves just to appease uh, the foreign president because they know how dangerous he is. They know how dangerous he was on January 6th when they were running for their lives because the action of that person uh, that he, uh, incited the mob and sent and they pointed towards the Capitol. Yeah, we actually have that clip of Donald Trump and we'll play it here for our viewers. It really is sick. The GOP's silence on January 6th and on Donald Trump's continued dangerous rhetoric is in itself extremely dangerous. Um, this kind of alliance with January 6th convicts is actually something that Judge Chutkin mentioned in the order today, denying that uh, motion. But let's just take a take a listen to these horrific words of his. J6 hostages. Not prisoners. I call them the hostages. What's happened? And, and the other thing is, like last week he did, the uh, right before that, uh, he sang a January 6 uh, anthem, as they call it, mm -hmm. uh, 
which is kind of like desecrating the national anthem themselves. Uh, they, they, obviously, they, they think that kneeling is a desecration of uh, the national an anthem, but uh, singing the January 6th version of the January, uh, of the uh, national anthem is not. The same thing with putting an effigy into and, 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 and put it on Trump's face on the flag, that it is not a desecration. And I think they have their standards, uh, but only they want the people who enforce those standards only when it's another group, another person, uh, not their supporters. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I want to talk about um, actually just on this theme of, of January 6th convicts. Um, just last week, Federico Klein was sentenced to uh, just short of six years in prison for 12 um, counts that he was found guilty on. This is the singular Trump administration official that was uh, prosecuted and found guilty in the attack on January 6th. He happens to be Aquilino, believe it or not, somebody that I know personally from the Trump campaign in 2016. He's actually a, he's, he's from Ar Argentina. He worked with me on some of our bilingual Hispanic engagement efforts because he was one of just a handful of staffers that spoke Spanish on the Trump campaign. Wow. And he actually, um, he actually was on my team. I will, I've described him previously on this broadcast and I'll tell you now that you're with me, he was kind of like nerdy, quirky, um, you could never envision in a million years that he would become that character that I saw on January 6th. Um, he's, he hit on me. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. At least it was in less aggressive ways than some other staffers hit on me um, in, in ways that, uh, you know, are basically um, sexual assault. But um but but before you go, yeah. Now that you mentioned that, yeah. Um, I don't know if you are aware, but he actually attacked me inside the tunnel. I'm in front of him. Like if you see the footage, yeah. If we can maybe play the B-roll of that. He's, while you're he's actually he's actually pulling my shield down. He's actually attacking me, and then once he can't do anything, then he uses a female rider uh, in, as a human shield because he cannot do anything he cannot and we push him out uh, unfortunately he he did a lot a couple other things in between i'm glad that i um he was convicted and sentenced last week i was there i gave provided my uh my statement to the court and i told the judge uh, one thing that i had previously uh prepared uh, my prepared remarks I had him ready to go, and, and upon learning that he was uh, a former military member, that kind of like disgusted me. Because, a former Marine. Um, I swore the same oath that he did, uh, as I discuss him in, in the book, American Shield, and at no point in time that I forgot that oath, my, my duty to defend the country, my duty to defend uh, the uh, elected officials who were behind me, and my colleagues and these staffers who were inside the building. Um, there was another, late in that same day, another military, uh, for, former military member that also uh, took part in the rider. He got seven years and, and a half, I believe. And I also provided my testimony to that. And mm -hmm. 
once I learned also that he was a military member, I completely lost it. Uh, my, uh, I, I told the judge, I'm not going to do the statement. I'm going to speak from the heart because to me, it was inconceivable that he was claiming that his, because of his, his PTSD, he's dealing with the veteran administration, uh, seeking benefits and things like that, or treatment or lack of, uh, that's because he claimed to, to his lawyer that that's the reason why he, he did what he did and he was susceptible to those things. And I, when I got to the point uh, to speak to the judge, I said, like, this defense lawyer just described my uh, history, my interaction with the VA and my symptoms as a PTSD, with PTSD as a former military member. I also deployed to Iraq, but that did not make me take part into an insurrection or that did not make me remove myself from defending the Capitol. They chose to do whatever they did uh, willfully uh, without reservation or because they thought that the outcome was gonna be differently. So for him to ask for leniency, that was insane and ludicrous. Mm -hmm. And I told the judge such, and I think that's why he got received a harsher, less, uh, harsher uh, sentencing because there's no way that he could have used that as an excuse. If I did that as a police officer, I'll be have been held to a higher standard, regardless of my PTSD and what mm -hmm. I've done for this country. And so I'm glad that judge uh, wow. saw it that way. Wow, that's some incredible insight. And you know, that really just, you know, as you're talking and knowing Federico Klein, we called him Freddie, um, to see someone like him, um, I didn't know him that well, but just, you know, a, a general perception of him brainwashed. You you cannot disconnect any of this. They'll throw in every excuse in the book, but Donald Trump was the ringleader. Donald Trump was brainwashing, manipulating all of these people and, um, you know, mobilizing, as you describe in your book, so many servicemen, veterans, police officers from around the country. I mean, this is truly uh, mortifying the level of deceit and manipulation that went into using people who, like you said, have taken an oath to defend our country to then turn against it. Yeah. And, and that's that's very sad because they know better. Yeah. They just refuse to to uh, stop doing what supporting this guy because they had invested so much time and effort to embrace that personality. I think if if that was uh, Joe Biden or, or Kamala Harris or any Democrat yeah. doing the same thing that they that this guy had done or continue to to spread, I'm sure that they will be like discuss discussed it and, yeah. and they will want uh, some ramification for it. Uh, the the worst part is that. This person, uh, the foreign president, as I speak in my book, he has not been held accountable uh, for the things that he had done since he became in office, uh, and, and let alone January 6th. And he's the leading candidate uh, of the Republican Party, the party of law and order, uh, the rule of law, the party of personal responsibility, uh, they say. I don't believe that anymore after January 6th, because if they did, they would have convicted, uh, ban him from uh, running political, uh, any position of political office on January 7th, 
but they didn't. They chose to ask for political favors like Mitch McConnell did uh, to forgive him, uh, despite uh, what Lindsey Graham said on January 7th, 6th. I had enough, this guy, that was too much, blah, blah, blah. The same thing with uh, Kevin McCarthy. Kevin McCarthy. Uh, he, you know, he knew on January 6th what happened when he had the conversation that, oh, the writers are more concerned about the election than you, Kevin. You know, that's that's a quote, quote from, from the same president himself. Yeah. And yet on a week, week and a half later, he flies to Mar-a-Lago and then starts spinning uh, the narrative. The same thing with um, Mike, uh, Mike Pence. On January 6th, he was running for his life. He cowered downstairs to the loading dock of the Capitol with the help of uh, our officers. And he was being the target of um, the mob. They wanted to hang him, not hang with Mike Pence. And uh, the, the absurdity of him not even coming forward to speak or give a statement uh, regarding what he knows as a material witness is inconceivable because a lot of people praise him for what he did. I don't because he had information that he could have shared with the law enforcement community or the press. This is, you know, for example, this is what the former president or my boss wants me to do. And yet he remains silent until January 6th when he put his finger on and said, let me go where the wind is going. And I don't praise him, I don't. I think he still has a lot of information that he could share light into, but he refuses. And I risk my life to give him the time and chance for him, along with the other officers, to get him to safety. And, you know, sometimes it makes me question whether I did the right thing. Because sometimes they, uh, especially him, he says, uh, a couple of times that one day in January or um, people need to move, move on from that one day in January or um, the president wanted, uh, was reckless on January 6th, not criminal. Well, if that was the case, he should have taught me and my colleagues whether he wanted to find out how reckless he uh, wanted the president to be and we will have let him through because they were looking for him and his ass. Yeah, it really, the cowardice is is just an appalling uh, lack of moral courage, not to mention from somebody like Mike Pence who claims to be a faithful follower of God. Um, it's really kind of sick. I mean, I mean, he doesn't follow the, the first thing about being a good, uh, faithful servant of God because if he did, he would have not lied. Yeah. Um, you know, the Ten Commandments. I'm not very religious myself, but, you know, for somebody, I don't claim that I am like he does. And one thing that he continued to do is lie to the American people, to himself and everybody else. He has a lot of information uh, relevant to what happened on January 6th, during, before, and after. And he still remained silent, all because he wanted to be buddy buddy and maybe get a get a, a, a chance to become a president. He, he doesn't have it. He doesn't have the, the courage to tell the truth. If he did, I would probably have to consider uh, voting for him just because of that, but he doesn't. So. 
Yeah, well, the God that he claims to believe in um, showed him how effective bowing down to the golden calf of Donald Trump is with the pathetic end to his candidacy. So <laughs> there's one lesson for <laughs> Mike Pence. But um, Aquilino, just speaking of this, like I said, and like we've been talking about, continued attempt at whitewashing January 6th, I want to kind of go back with you to that day, play the play a clip of um, your body cam footage along with some testimony that you very bravely gave to um, the House investigating January 6th. Um, let's play those clips. After order, order has finally has been restored the Capitol, in many hours, I arrive at home at nearly 4 a.m. On January 7th, I had to push my wife away from me because she wanted to hug me. And I told her no, because of the other chemical that I, my uniform had it on. Sorry. Aquilino, I know you wrote in your book um, and you said that day, I th I thought this was how I was going to die. Can you just kind of take us back to this, as you've described, medieval battle that you experienced on January 6th? Yeah, um, but first uh, I would like to clarify, we Capitol Police, we don't wear, uh, have uh, body camera. That's, that's ah. well, that video is from uh, Metropolitan Police. Ah, thank you for um, that clarification. Regarding, uh, my testimony to you in front of Congress about what happened, it was very emotional. Um, it still is, and depending on who I'm talking to and what part of my day, long day, I'm speaking about. Uh, but, you know, looking at it right now, it, it's kind of like nine day different, you know, two years, almost three years later, uh, I have healed a lot. I, I don't, I'm not as emotional as I was before, uh, but, Sometimes it still get triggered. Uh, regarding the day, I began my day at uh, 4 a.m. Waking up at home. Uh, I'm sorry, at five. Uh, getting to work around six ten. Um, did roll call, brief my soul, uh, my officers. Then we waited uh, for information in terms of where to respond. It was around. Close to one o'clock that we received that phone, uh, that radio call on the radio, um, stating that we needed to, uh, that everything was needed, uh, especially from our civil disturbance unit. We were requested, we were requested to respond to the breach on the west front of the Capitol, uh, and from there on, uh, from one o'clock all the way to close to six o'clock. We didn't stop fighting. We were fighting for our lives. We were fighting for our democracy. We were fighting for our colleagues. We were fighting for to protect the members of Congress and their um, their staff, including senators. And we began losing the police line almost immediately after uh, they breached the first uh, fence. Um, multiple people assaulted me, uh, in con in sometimes simultaneously, sometimes individually, sometimes in conjunction with one another. It was one thing that right after another, and that's why I say was, to me, in, in a sense, it was worse than my time in Iraq, because at least in Iraq, I knew what to expect. Here, it was one hit after another, one person 
uh, once they got tired of hitting me, then somebody else would come forward, push me, and, and assaulted me uh, to the point that, uh, as far as I, I counted, more than 50 people have assaulted me. I have videos and pictures of that, and uh, eventually I will release it. Um, and that's why I continue to go to court because it wasn't one single person that assaulted me. It wasn't one single time that I had a bad experience or that I uh, I fear for my life, to losing my life. And you know, it got to a point that we all got flanked and we all had to retreat up the stage, um, being beat up. A lot of things were thrown at us, including broken barricades that they took apart, metal pieces of things, and, and thrown at us as a spear, uh, pepper spray, bear spray, uh, white spray, W40, cancer soda, uh, plywood, wood board, um, rocks, uh, sledgehammers. They took, they were literally were taking down part of the stage that was being built and used those tools and, and materials as weapons to assault the police officer. Not in, in civilian clothes, but police in full uniform where it says police in, in, on, on their uh, gear and uh, their clothes. So they knew who they were, who they were attacking. They knew what they were doing, and yet um, they continue to do it. And when we tell them um, to back up, to uh, disperse, they said, "No, Trump sent us. He sent us. We're here. If we had to go through you, we're going to go through you." At uh, some point, in the mouth of the uh, tunnel, uh, the iconic arch where the president comes out. That's where we made our stand. That's where I, I speak of a lot of, you know, related to January 6th in my book, American Shield. That's where I almost lost my life. That's where I got injured on my foot, on my left shoulder, uh, or my, both my hands were bleeding at that time, uh, almost getting trampled by multiple people, uh, also being trampled by my colleagues pushing forward and the mob pushing forward as well. So I'm literally in the middle. And that's why I met, I ran into uh, Danny Hodges, Officer Danny Hodges from the Metropolitan Police. That's why I also encountered Mike Fanon, who took my spot, uh, literally. And if I had he not done that, I think everything that happened to Fanon would have happened to me. Uh, fortunately, I was lucky. Uh, I told him a couple of several times I still feel guilty about those things but there's nothing I could do uh, God has a plan and I, there's a reason behind it and perhaps had I stayed there and he had not relieved me I probably would have not have survived that day because by then I would have uh, multiple injuries uh, and later on uh, I continue despite my injuries I continue to fight uh, on that day and all that is in the book I think People need to read my yeah. book uh, to learn exactly about my day, what I did. Because if you look, I could look at the footages of Jeremy Six on the West Front, and I could pinpoint where I was, what I did, and how many people assaulted me. Uh, and, and it's a lot. It's a lot of things, and that's one, one reason why I decided to uh, speak up and, 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 and be vocal about it, because I realized that the elected officials who ran for their lives, the elected official who uh, I risked my life, they were desecrating my efforts, my sacrifices, and what the other officer who perished on that day 
whether uh, by suicide was a result of January 6, uh, those elected officials, especially the Republican side, they continue to the uh, uh, disgrace and uh, disgrace uh, our sacrifices. And it wasn't in vain that we did that. We did any action that we took, it was thinking that we were needed to protect them and now they turn around and say nothing happened or these people are hostages. And every single time the former president says something outrageous, they continue to remain silent. They continue to say, well, he let, let him blow some steam. Let him, he, Donald Trump is going to be Donald Trump. Uh, I don't think when they were running for their lives, when they were fearful for running to the safe area, uh, to the hideouts, I don't think they were saying let Trump be Trump. They were running for their lives and they were scared. So, and you can see that on some of the videos uh, that you've seen uh, uh, when the January 6th committee released it. Yeah, this party that calls themselves the ones that back the blue, as you said, the party of law and order that's anything but. Um, their defense of this man and his actions led to, as you mentioned, and you mentioned in your book, it's something I like to remind our viewers and listeners of as much as possible because it's so tragic and disgusting that this is what um, it came to. But your fellow officer, Capitol Police Officer Howen Liebengood died by suicide. Um, three Metropolitan Police Officers, Jeffrey Smith, Kyle DeFreytag, and Gunther Hashida. Um, died by suicide in the wake of January 6th. You, you talk about, um, you know, the healing that speaking out has given you. And boy, can I relate, Aquilino, I can relate so much to that because without it, you're keeping it all inside and it eats away at you. And it's very toxic to your mental health and not to mention your physical recovery. Um, it's, it's a very um, kind of sickening shadow of darkness to live under. And, um, not everybody made it out from that. And that is, uh, there's one person to blame. But as as you're mentioning all these things that you recount in your book, which I highly recommend people read, you talk a lot about where the hell was the National Guard. You talk about the distinction in the treatment of these, you know, largely white supremacist January 6 rioters versus the prior treatment over the summer of 2020 of BLM protesters. Mm -hmm. Um, you talk about the racism, you talk about, you know, some lack of support within your own ranks. I just want to um, play a clip uh, that we got just, uh, I think, yesterday um, in the wake of Jonathan Carl, ABC News reporter, his new book, Tired of Winning, an audio discussion that he had with Trump that reveals, as we all knew, that Donald Trump could at, at any moment have called off this violent this violence. These were his people. Yep. He sent them there. He could have ended it. Let's take a listen. Um, you told them you were going to go up to the Capitol. Were you just? I was. No, I was going to, and the Secret Service said you can't. And then by the time I would have, and then when I got back, I saw I wanted to go back. I was thinking about going back during the problem to stop the problem, doing it myself. Secret Service didn't like that idea mm -hmm. too much. So, so what? And I could so, have done that, and you know what? I would have been very well received. Don't forget, the people that went to Washington that day, in my opinion, they went because they thought the election was rigged. That's why they went. Who told him it was rigged, right? Well, that's that's kind of like uh, his uh, mo. 
um, he says something outrageous or any topic and say, well, we need to get back to being a good police officer. Then the people got start saying, well, we need better policing. We need to do this. And then when the press asked them uh, about policing, well, a lot of people are saying, uh, we need to do better. So he plans to see, then come back and do a full circle. And a lot of people don't realize that what they're listening is to what he already has said. And he continued to lie to them. And they take that for, for kind of like, like a prophecy, like he's the, 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 the one that needs to tell them the truth. And I could save his life or his mom's life and then he'll come back and say, well, you didn't save it fast enough. Or you save it, but now she's crippled. Well, which one you want me? What do you want me to do with the, with the things that I that I can do? I cannot control how I save. Her. As long as I drag her out of the fire, I don't know whether it's scars or anything like that. But I'll do my best to uh, save the person uh, wholly. And, and what another thing a lot of people don't realize is that me personally, I, I, if I'm in a situation of political position of power or uh, as a public servant, I'll be more likely to serve them better than the former president because I'll go back into a fight. I had done that in the military. I had done that at the Capitol. And this person now claims that he was going to be some type of savior to stop the violence on uh, the Capitol. That's a ridiculous. He wanted the violence. He incited them. And he had the influence to to stop them. He could have told them three hours later, uh, that's, this is not what I had in mind. Please stop. Leave the Capitol. Um, and th- he did it. He had to be literally forced to to provide a statement. And the January 6th committee uh, uh, displayed those things. When he had a, he had a struggle uh, saying the word uh, um, yesterday or something like that or uh, stop the violence, you know. Yeah. Yeah, you know he speaks English. He didn't want to do it. He was he was cheering them on. Yeah, so he was egging them. I mean, he for somebody who claimed to know a lot more than everybody else, he should have known better, and he does. Of course, the thing is that he doesn't want people to fault him for things that he he does. He only takes credit for the good things that he thinks that he had done, not for the bad things that happened under his watch, and uh, you know. You could think anything or believe anything you want, but thinking and believing those things doesn't make it tr- true. I could, I think I, I won the lottery, the Powerball, a few months ago. When the Powerball was $200. Where's the money? When it was two, $2 billion, does that mean I had to take arm and burn the place? And, you know, I only needed six, six uh, the, the good six numbers to win it. But I believe I had the winning numbers. Did that make it true? Hell no. Yeah, um, Aquilino, you're really getting to the heart of, of Donald Trump's deceit and manipulation of his own supporters. And I think there's no greater example of that than the death of several of his own supporters that day. Ashley Babbitt's the name we all know very well, but there was also Kevin Greeson who suffered a heart attack, uh, Benjamin Phillips who died of a stroke, and Roseanne Boyland who I actually learned from your book, I had thought that she had been crushed to death, but I learned from your book that she actually died of an overdose and you found her, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, with Capitol Police Officer Harry Dunn. And you're speaking of you know, the work that you did on that day that did not 
discriminate between who you were there to help. You were there for everyone's safety and well-being, and you literally tried to save Roseanne Boylan's life. We all did. Uh, I mean, yeah. even though as we were being attacked uh, uh, before the police line was lost, yeah. uh, I tried to help three different people. Uh, an old guy who uh, couldn't breathe and, and couldn't see, I provided water to rinse his, his eyes. And then later on, I find him almost near the tunnel uh, fighting with me again. So first I helped them and then they come back and attack me. So they didn't, they didn't know who I was, but I did try to help not only him, but other people. Um, regarding Ms. Boylan, I, you know, at first I felt sorry for what happened. I, I, the first time I, I dealing with that, uh, that was hard for me because I actually believe that uh, the family needed uh, to know what happened. Uh, I, I found, I went back to the tunnel Look for her ID. I didn't. Nobody knew who she was. I found her ID later on uh, on January sixth at nighttime, close to close to uh, um, uh, twelve o'clock at night. Um, I helped her um, coordinate uh, the the CPR, uh, and there are videos of that. Uh, we I also saw for a uh, AED. Uh, machine that you know to help her uh, regain consciousness and breathe get, get kicked her her heart, heart kick start again and there was no response uh, a lot of officer tried to help her uh, for hours and we we couldn't uh, even in even as we were helping her we were getting attacked uh, by the mob they didn't care about what the injured people the wounds they only care about getting inside and uh, she, you know, I don't know what happened to her before she got to where I was in the back of the police line. Uh, from what I understand is that she uh, got hit or crushed in the front. Uh, I don't know uh, exactly the details of that or for certain, but uh, overall, I think uh, her uh, death was ruled uh, overdose. I don't know the, the, the experts of it. Uh, but one thing that I, I know for a fact is that my officers and myself and uh, everyone who was around her, we tried to help her. And then later on, because of the violence, because we were continuing to being attacked, as we were trying to help her, uh, to revive her, um, we were getting attacked. We decided to move. I told the, 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 the our guys, we need to move her. And uh, that's when I met, um, I ran into uh, Officer Harry Dunn on top of, uh, the steps leading to the crypt because he then later on helped me uh, get up the, the steps and then to the other location where you could see uh, myself and other officers trying to assess and help her. I know there are a there's a certain personality um, that continue to spread lies about what happened, uh, but she changed her story like changing dirty draws or boyfriends. Um, so I don't take that as a serious person um, because she had never done anything similar to what I had done uh, for this country or to help anybody but herself financial gain. Uh, first, that person claimed that um, I, myself and Harry don't kill her. Then she said it was wow. somebody else. Mm -hmm. Then she said that we tried to hide the body. Then she tried mm -hmm. to So there's a lot of things that she continues to say 
uh, just for clicks and likes. And mm -hmm. just because I was not limping around on certain things uh, after I was injured doesn't mean that I was not in pain. It doesn't mean that I, I, I was not uh, filled with uh, adrenaline, that I, nothing happened to me. Maybe I was more concerned about saving her life than my pain or my injuries. And then if I had not done what I, what I did to help her, then she would have claimed, well, you left her die. You took, you were taking, um, you were more uh, worried about your safety, about your injuries than saving her life. So you can't win with these people, um, conspiracy, conspiracy theories. Yeah. And as much as, you know, I would like to debate and, 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 and contradict all their stories. You can never win because every single day is something different. And like I said, she changed her, her story, like changing uh, her dirty underwear as well. Mm -hmm. Maybe, but I don't want to get there. <laughs> hey, Aguilino, you and your fellow officers were all such uh, amazing heroes on that day, dealing with um, unthinkable odds. I mean, you described, you know, your force of about 400. I think there were several hundred Metropolitan Police that came to join you in the later hours to literally combat insurrectionists numbering in the hundreds of thousands, a hundred, over a hundred thousand, I think you estimated. And as you mentioned, instead of calling out, instead of Republicans calling out that this is a death cult that their dear leader has his supporters engaged in. Um, they are defaming people like you, heroes like you, slandering you, gaslighting these supporters into continuing to support Donald Trump after he has literally sent them to their own deaths and engaging in these wild conspiracy theories. We had another one just this week when they're not silent. Like you said, they're engaged in conspiracy theories. Um, GOP representative Higgins claimed that, uh, well, let's just play the clip. Are you familiar with, with, you know what a ghost vehicle is? Director, director of the FBI certainly should. You know what a ghost bus is? A ghost bus? Ghost bus. I'm not sure I've used that term before. Okay. Well, pretty common in, in law enforcement. It's a, it's a vehicle that's that's used for secret purposes. It's painted over. These two buses in the middle here, they were the first to arrive at Union Station on January 6th. 0500. I have all this evidence. I'm showing you a tip of this iceberg. Mr. Chairman. These two buses Mr. are Chairman. painted completely white. Point of order. Well, FBI informants in the crowd uh, dressed as uh, Trump supporters. Well, since um, that uh, congressman is into monarchy, I think I know one goes congressman um, that, you know, and what that means is a Trump supporter pretending to have a courage to stand up to him. You know, it is what it is. They continue to make excuses. They tell me to move on from January 6th, but they cannot move on themselves. Uh, and the only reason why they are alive, the only reason why they're still doing the job that they have is because what myself and my colleagues did on January 6th yeah. to prevent them from getting harmed because the mob, when they got in, they didn't care about whether they were Republicans or Democrat or independents. Uh, they only care about stopping and killing the people, anybody who was doing the job and doing the transition of power. Um, so 
I know it goes uh, congressman when I see it, and I think I see one right now. I think there's a lot. Yeah, I, I sometimes call them the living dead myself. So that uh, that kind of, I think our, <laughs> our uh, metaphors are aligning. Um, but yeah, you, um, you talk about, about the sacrifices made on that day, and I can't help but um, bring up another friend of yours, uh, Officer Brian Sicknick, who we know lost his life after January 6th. Um, I personally, Aquilino, have really taken such, um, I've just really appreciated his, um, his partner, uh, Sandra Garza, who I know has befriended you. You write about that friendship in the book and the way that she supported you in, in such a beautiful way. Her early calls, there, there you are um, for our audio listeners holding her hand at the January 6th hearing. I will never forget that image. Um, it was literally at the moment that Representative Loria was reminding the committee room that Donald Trump never acknowledged Brian Sicknick's death. Um, can you just talk a little bit about him and his sacrifice and your friendship with Sandra Garza, who, if I'm not mistaken, was once a Donald Trump supporter herself. Um, I mean, I, I know about her. They're supporting Trump, but I don't. I, I don't think they do anymore. No, uh, I don't think so. <laughs> uh, one thing that I could tell you about Brian Sidney, he was a wonderful person. He was a good officer and never complained whenever I assigned him to do anything uh, remotely to. Uh, the things that we needed to do to secure the capital. Um, it is a tragic loss, not only for myself and, and for the family, but also for the Capitol Police. Uh, it was a unnecessary loss. Uh, I think uh, Donald Trump himself, you know, again, this is the person who say we support the police and I, I backed the blue 100%, including the personalities at Fox News. Every single time they something uh, against another group or uh, people of color, um, they they immediately begin to defend the, the police officer, regardless whether they are fault or not. Uh, and, and regarding January six, they are taken to demonize us, the police officer, because we did what we were supposed to, including to um, insinuate that. Um, as I mentioned in the book, American Shield, that um, some of them, they immediately began to spin the cycle and say, well, it was Antifa who was attacking the police officer. Well, go to the to D.C. jail um, and ask all those January Sixers whether they're part of Antifa, uh, because I doubt, you know, if, if there was any Antifa, or Black Lives Matters among the crowd that would have been lynched or they would have been killed. Yeah. Uh, one thing that uh, some of the Republicans continue to deny is that if you look at the footage of the West Front in the tunnel, the entrance, the, I'm sorry, the window that was broken by the mob that they actually got in, that was a Republican office. And yet that person, I forgot his name, but yet that Republican elected official uh, had not said anything about that, um, had not condemned of violence. He, he still, as a matter of fact, he was asked a couple of weeks ago um, whether he supported Trump. And he said, yes, I still do. I'm like, regardless what what happened in your office, yeah, that, exactly. that was your supporters doing that. 
Uh, the other thing that I, I don't find, uh, that I do find inconceivable is uh, including some of the elected officials who convicted him of uh, doing the impeachment, who voted for the impeachment on January 6th. Now they ask, you could ask any one of those, uh, and a lot of them will answer, yes, I will support Donald Trump, even if he's convicted of the 91 counts that he's accused of, regardless uh, of whether it's related to January 6th, the classified document mishandling, and, or any other things that he's accused of during the election in Atlanta. So there's a lot of things that people need to understand and, and, and see that this person is not a good fit for the presidency. This person does not care about anything related to the benefit of this country but himself. Uh, and if they continue to see and continue to support him the way that he wants to do, um, it, it's gonna, uh, he is a danger to our country. Not only uh, in the past, he has shown that he has no uh, intent in doing the, benefit, the business of the people, uh, but only ramifications—what uh, uh, you call it? Revenge and, and, and things like Retribution. that. Retribution. Yeah. He, he doesn't care about when he's attacked. He doesn't care whether you're a good person, whether you serve the military, yeah. whether you're a police officer, whether you're a judge. Every single person that have worked for him, you know, you know the best people um, that he knows. Uh, now they are trash. They throw yeah. them under the under the bus. And he attacked their character because they're no longer useful to him. And it's insane the idea that this millionaire or billionaire, as he's quotation marks that he claims to be, um, is asking people to send him money for the defense of his legal um, perils. Because you know, you know, if you're a millionaire, why are you asking pe uh, poor people to send you money for your own legal purpose? You know, and people are so I, I don't know. I don't want to say dumb enough, but they are gullible enough to um, to send him and, and send him money that they need themselves. And then in the process, they voting against their own interests. Their own interests. Because this person had not put a platform on how he going to govern, on how he going to make their lives better. But I, I guess. Um, demonizing and attacking people uh, and putting people in jail that he deemed have run him uh, is part of, uh, I guess, a good agenda for, for, the, for the country. And I doubt it. Yes, yeah, speaking, Aquilino, of voting against your own interests, I don't think there could be any better example of that than um, the Latino community that has unfortunately, he has unfortunately garnered more support from than um, I think we all wish were the case. And I'm sure you caught the story this week and probably the interview or news of it last week that um, there's kind of this collusion going on between Univision and their new owners um, at Grupo Televisa, um, giving Donald Trump this hour long softball sit down interview on primetime television. Um, and then subsequently denying uh, the Hispanic um, engagement representative from the Biden campaign a follow-up, also canceling ads for um, for the Biden campaign that they had purchased to run during that interview, um, citing a prior non-existent policy of not running opposition ads during um, 
single candidate interviews. Um, there's a real effort uh, by the Trump campaign. Um, <laughs> tragically, mm -hmm. I was part of this many years ago, but with with a, a lot of ignorance and not what I know now to try to sway Latino voters. Um, you gave an episode in your book that I hope people read about your own family buying into some of his lies. Um, quizás Aquilino nos puede dar un mensaje en español para votantes latinos que quizás todavía creen que por cualquier razón Donald Trump es un líder efectivo o fuerte. ¿Qué puede decir a nuestra comunidad latina? Bueno, una cosa que te puedo decir es que el, el expresidente Trump eh, tiene un, un plan de reinventar la realidad de lo pasado y, y, y reinventar el pasado. Eh, lo único es que quieren convencer a los latinos de que, lo que, que las cosas estaban mejor bajo su, bajo su mando, que él administraba el país mejor y no es así. Si se acuerdan, eh, él so, eh, puso a muchos de los, de los hispanos, eh, lo trataba mal, lo discriminaba, las políticas que él eran discriminatorias, eh, no ayudó mucho a, cuando, durante los huracanes a, a la persona, a la comunidad latina, especialmente a a Puerto Rico, que también es parte de los Estados Unidos, a pesar de que muchos de los americanos no saben que Puerto Rico es parte de, 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 los, de Estados los Estados Unidos. Unidos. La, la ignorancia es increíble y muchas veces las personas se dejan llevar de que sí, esta persona sí me, me, me ayudó en cierta cosa, pero el, la totalidad del, del, del tema se están votando en contra de su favor. Con una persona que incita la discriminación, no eh, apoya la inmigración, la reforma de inmigración, eh, cita, yo sé que muchas veces están frustrados porque tampoco los demócratas han hecho un buen trabajo en mensaje, pero ya eso es otra cosa. Pero cuando la gente tiene que empezar que sin la democracia lo que el presidente, ex presidente trató de hacer fue instalarse como un dictador. Y muchas veces los hispanos dicen, no, no queremos que los Estados Unidos se convierta en el país donde yo salí. Claro. Por ejemplo, Venezuela, Cuba, ellos tienen, o Costa Rica, tienen, eh, tienen gobiernos autoritarios. ¿Y qué tú crees que Trump trató de hacer el 6 de enero? Instalarse como un, una persona autoritaria. Fue un golpe de Estado. Y eso es lo que la gente tiene que pensar. Que si eso hubiera llegado a pasar, las ramificaciones de esa a, acción hubiera eh, trazado mucha parte del país, pero principalmente aquí en los Estados Unidos, donde... La, se, se convertiría en un país donde se, es la discriminación sea legal, porque eso es lo que muchos de los republicanos hoy en día eh, promocionan, la, la, la discriminación, el caos y, y el maltrato de las personas que no son blancas. Y, y eso incluye 
a esos hispanos que también apoyan a Trump. Muchas veces, como por ejemplo, el, el, este señor que era de Proud Boy, Enrique Tario, ¿dónde tú crees que él? Es un, un cubano que se cree blanco y hizo cosas que era de, en contra de la constitución, en contra de los valores de este país. Que si hubieran terminado, al fin y al cabo, eh, hubieran instalado a Trump como un dictador igual o peor que, que en Cuba. Eso exacto, es lo que quiero comunicar yo también, la corrupción que quieren escapar de, de sus países de, de origen, uh -huh. um, en contra de lo que dice Donald Trump y los republicanos, um, no son para libertad, van a traer esa corrupción, uh -huh. esa presión. A nuestro, a presión, claro, a nuestro gobierno y es el fin de la democracia en nuestro país. Y espero que, espero que todo, todo el mundo nos escucha. Sí, simplemente quiero que, que la gente lea mi libro. Mi libro va a salir en español también, una versión en español se llamará Escudo Americano, el sargento que defendió la democracia. Ahí si lo escuchan bien, si leen bien, entenderán que todo el sacrificio que yo he hecho por este país, una persona que no eh, nació aquí en este país como inmigrante, compré los valores y, y, y la, los mensajes que de, de principios que nosotros escuchamos fuera de los Estados Unidos, como eh, todo, la ley cubre a todos, eh, todos serán eh, juzgados y ser responsables, no importa quién son ni posiciones. Entonces esos valores y principios yo me lo compré, eh, eh, me lo creí y hoy en día muchos de esos valores y principios los republicanos dicen que no, que no, no son, eh, no pueden ser aplicados al expresidente porque él es un expresidente o porque él es un candidato que está ganando en las elecciones. Pero yo te pregunto, si tú no quieres que te, eh, te juzguen, no quiere que te molesten, no, se, no quiere que te proce, eh, ser procesado por la justicia, entonces no cometa ningún crimen y haz las cosas como las tienen que hacer a tu trabajo y nadie te va a estar molestando a ti por, por hacer tu trabajo. Porque lo que están diciendo es, porque él es un expresidente, las leyes no aplican. Porque él es un candidato, las leyes no, no aplican. Pero Dios no lo quiera, sea tú o yo, esas leyes no aplican y no las aplican bastante. Después que cumpla el tiempo en cárcel, quizás hasta te deporten a ti mismo. Y no porque eh, tú seas blanco o, o, o pretendas ser blanco, cree que te van a dar un un slide, como dicen, no te van a dejar colar, te van a tratar igual o peor. Y eso es lo que la gente tiene que entender, que las leyes se respetan, que las leyes eh, se apliquen y que sí a toda la persona, no importa quién sea y la posición que sostenga. Espero que Univision te invite a ti, Aquilino. 
<laughs> you need you need to speak to the Univision audience. And I want to thank um, our Lights On listeners for this bilingual diversion. We've never done it before, but I think it's so important, um, so important to get the message to everybody, everybody in this country um, who's voting, um, especially, especially these, um, you know, Latin voters that we we care so much about and are being um, misled and deceived by Donald Trump and and how wonderful that you have a version of your book in Spanish too. Um, Sergeant Aquilino Gonel, thank you so much for joining me today on Lights On. Thank you, Jessica, and uh, God bless you. And I hope everybody enjoyed my story uh, and share with everybody else too. Uh, I did everything that I did. I did it not thinking about an award or a book. I did it because it was my job at that time. And if you read it, you could see the struggles, the sacrifices, and everything that I had done for this country. Something that I was not even born here. Um, on January 6th, the people who were born here attacked me. And I was one of many, many immigrants who defended the Capitol. Uh, and I thank them uh, for remaining by my side. And also, um, you have to give them credit too, because it wasn't just me doing that there are a lot of unnamed uh, officers both from metropolitan police and the other agencies who responded but also from capital police and my colleagues who continue to defend continue to do our duties and, and uh, we do all the best we can remain engaged and vote we need to vote absolutely stay engaged like i said in the open let us let us be Project 2024 that stops Project 2025. It is in our hands and let's do everything we possibly can. Thank you again. All right, have a good one, thanks. You too, you too. Um, thank you so much everybody uh, for indulging in this bilingual amazing conversation with Sergeant Gonell. Um, as, as, as I feel is my obligation, I'm gonna take a few minutes to wrap up here with um, the latest on the Middle East. It continues to um, be a situation that is horrifying and sadly dividing, um, dividing a lot of us unnecessarily. All of this hate directed, I think in very wrong directions against people of, of, because of their religious background against Jews, the Islamophobia is, or I'm sorry, the antisemitism is off the charts against Muslims. Um, there is also a rise in Islamophobia that is absolutely abhorrent. And we really need to, as I've tried to do on this program, redirect our anger and our outrage at the corruption and the evil forces that are trying to tear us apart um, and destabilize the world and dehumanize our neighbors um, instead of unifying and, and bringing a solution for lasting peace. Um, I have been highlighting the corruption of Netanyahu on this program because I think it, number one, it um, is at the heart of getting to an answer that is um, a humane and humanitarian resolution for everybody in this conflict. Um, I've quoted from the Israeli uh, newspaper Haaretz, which I have um, mispronounced in previous episodes, forgive me for that. And there's a quote that uh, came out this week that I wanted to share. It said, Netanyahu believes a lengthy war in Gaza will alleviate criticism and keep him, him in power. More importantly, he thinks it will allow him to spread the blame. Um, as usual, this kind of um, summary of Netanyahu reminds me of Donald Trump, someone who will exploit conflict, who will um, really um, revel in division for his own political self-preservation. Um, these people do not have 
the interests of humanity at heart. Um, unlike someone like President Biden, who um, is understandably navigating unthinkable um, waters and trying to both stand with Israel and um, push back on what sure as hell looks like war crimes being committed by the Israeli government in Gaza in this kind of indiscriminate bombing of civilian infrastructure. To this day, um, as we know, 1,200 Israelis were unthinkably brutalized, um, unthinkable sexual violence by Hamas on, on, January, on October 7th, followed by what is now nearing 11,500 Palestinians and nearly 5,000 children killed in Gaza. Um, I just wanted to share that Representative Becca Ballant has become the first Jewish congressperson to back a ceasefire. She said in part, I am grieving deeply for the Israelis killed in the brutal attack and all those taken hostage, for the Palestinians killed and suffering in the chaos of violence, and for the children dead, injured, and orphaned who will carry this trauma for the rest of their lives. Um, she went on to say, talk about the absolute um, dire circumstances in Gaza's hospitals, uh, the situation with food and fuel, and called for a ceasefire as a first step in conjunction with a hostage release, and added, Netanyahu's strategy does not make Israel safer. Israel's continued bombing in Gaza is killing innocent people and fuels recruitment for terrorist groups like Hamas. Again, something we have tried to highlight on this program, as well as the uh, alliance between um, Netanyahu and Hamas that has been in the works for years. And she added, I am, I am one generation removed from the horrific trauma of the Holocaust, which impacted my family and reshaped the world. This same history also drives so many of us to fight for the protection of Palestinian lives. Uh, there's another wonderful, um, I think, very wholesome um, speech that uh, Jewish senator from Georgia, first Jewish senator from Georgia, John Ossoff, gave on the Senate floor yesterday. He said, in part, the extent of civilian death in Gaza is unnecessary. It is a moral failure, and it should be unacceptable to the United States. Um, I will post that on my uh, Twitter feed and on threads, um, so definitely check that out. I highly recommend listening to all nine plus minutes of it. Um, two last things before, before we wrap up. It, I wanna share a poll that expresses the sentiment of Americans. This is from late October. 66% of American voters think the US should call for a ceasefire and de-escalation of violence in Gaza. That includes 80% of Democrats and 57% of independents and even 56% of Republicans. I really strongly believe that this is a moment for um, Joe Biden and the United States to very much lead with moral clarity on this issue. Um, and and as I said in the open, we, we, we can't afford any mistakes. We can't afford to, uh, Biden cannot afford to lose that coalition that he so desperately needs to um, keep Donald Trump from becoming dictator in America. And that involves, um, you know, not alienating in particular Muslim and Arab communities that defend him. I have said previously, and I mentioned in the open, the alternative is so much worse. Donald Trump is so much worse, but we do have to take a moral stand in this moment. And um, polls like this, I believe, show that the majority of humanity, um, including our country, is on the side of, of peace and um, resolution. Okay, um, I'm gonna just give a 
few announcements uh, as usual. Definitely, if you want to um, support me in my legal battle against Donald Trump's campaign, you can continue to do that. And I am so grateful for your support at thejessicadenson.com slash donate. Another great way to support this show for free is at uh, by subscribing to Jessica Denson um, on YouTube and subscribing to Lights On with Jessica Denson wherever you get your audio podcasts. On my YouTube channel, I will always post the Lights On podcasts and our special episodes in case you have a hard time finding them. And um, additionally, interviews that I've done with other outlets. Um, I did a couple new ones this week, which are on my YouTube page. Um, I want to wish everybody a really happy Thanksgiving um, because we won't see you until next week, Black Friday. So please have a wonderful holiday. And I want to leave you with the words of Vivian Silver, a Israeli-Canadian peace activist and founder of Women Wage Peace, who was so tragically um, found this week, murdered by Hamas after thought to be kidnapped from her kibbutz Barry. Um, there is a radical peace solution, I believe, that will get us out of this and let us all be left with these bright, shining words of Vivian Silver. I spent a lot of time in Gaza because I um, directed an NGO that worked with like-minded Palestinian organizations, both in Gaza and in the West Bank. All of those people want to live in dignity and, and in recognition of a, a, a national people. I call myself um, a conditional Zionist. I believe in the right of the Jewish people to have a state as long as we give the same right to the Palestinian people. This could be such a haven for both of our peoples here. I mean, there's, we have more in common than we have not in common. We have human resources here that are incredible. I have personal, you know, relationships and friends for the last 20 years with people on the other side. I know what life could be like if we put down our arms. <laughs>